tonight as we continue to think about Jesus. And in order to get at what the death of Jesus Christ means for us today in 2019, I want to go back, way back in time, and look at what the death of Christ meant for Jesus. What he experienced, what he went through, as he suffered, was tortured and crucified in our place for our sins on that very first Good Friday. And my hope is that in seeing the agony and the suffering of our Lord and Savior, it will help us see the supremacy of his love, the beauty, the power, the brilliance of his love. So to do that, I want to go back further in time, even before Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, and I want to look at an Old Testament psalm, Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a psalm of David, that is, it was written by David, but it's also a prophecy of Jesus Christ. It's arguably the most explicit prophecy of Jesus Christ and all the Psalter on the events surrounding the death and suffering and crucifixion of Christ. The coming Messiah, as the psalmist points us to Jesus. So if you have your Bibles or there's Bibles in front of you and we'll show these verses on the screens behind me, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 22 And verse 1, where we read, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Now David is describing a painful period in his life. But as you know, Jesus quotes this, the first part of this verse on the cross, applying it to himself. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now think about this word forsaken, which means to be rejected, to be abandoned. What Jesus is telling us, what this psalm is pointing to, is that on the cross, Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God. If you will, God's hatred toward human sin. And on the cross, Jesus bore the full brunt of human sin. So as we read at the beginning of this service, as we said out loud together, that became sin and Jesus became so enmeshed that Paul tells us Jesus became sin in the eyes of a holy God. And because God is holy, God turned his back on his son. So that the moment we believe, God will never turn his back on us. On the cross, God abandoned his son. Why have you forsaken me? So that the moment we believe, God would never, will never abandon us. On the cross, Jesus Christ became the sacrificial lamb of God. So that when we believe, we can become the beloved children of God. 
And all of that is wrapped up in this statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But if you will allow me, it's more complex than that. So I want to digress for just a moment theologically. I've never said this in one of our Good Friday services, but it's important to understand. The cross of Jesus Christ did not momentarily divide the Trinity. It is impossible for the eternal triune God to be split. Jesus is fully God and fully man. So yes, the fully divine Son of God suffered on the cross. Jesus didn't lay aside his divine nature on the cross. But when Jesus talks about being forsaken, when Jesus was in in fact forsaken, he is talking about according to and because of his human nature which he voluntarily took on for that purpose. In other words, it was the infinite God-man who suffered according to his human nature and because of his deity, what he experienced on the cross is of infinite value satisfying the demands of the holy God. Let me say it this way, God cannot suffer. So in the incarnation, Jesus took on human nature in order to suffer with and for us as humans. Forsaken, but eternally God. Now what I want to do with our remaining time is I want to move from the theology of that uh, to look at what the Bible tells us about this suffering of Jesus Christ here in the remainder, or at least in a significant portion of Psalm 22. I want to walk you through some verses that are an Old Testament prophecy. In incredible detail, largely metaphor, but incredible detail, of what Jesus went through. So I'm going to begin reading in Psalm 22 and now in verse 11. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, for there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a piece of broken pottery. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. 
They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Now, this is remarkable. This is describing an execution, not an illness. A death, not a bad day. And what is being described here did not, did not happen to David. Furthermore, in David's psalms of suffering, David usually cries out for justice. In Psalm 22, there is no cry for justice. It's as if this punishment is undeserved, but must be submitted to. This psalm is describing, now think about this, this psalm is describing Jesus' death in his own words. Words that Jesus gave to David a thousand years before Jesus was crucified. Eight verses of agony here, from verse 11 through verse 18. So what I want to do is I want to go back through these verses briefly and look at what we can learn about Jesus' suffering. So let's start with verse 11. In verse 11, what stands out is Jesus is stating his utter loneliness. Loneliness in the human experience is one of life's greatest tragedies. In Jesus' suffering and death, he became the loneliest person who has ever lived. And Jesus did that for you and for me. The one, I, I mean, the one who has all the angelic armies at his disposal says, there is no one to help me at the end of verse 11. Then we come to verses 12 and 13. I'll take them together. The bulls, the roaring lions are metaphors, figures of speech, uh, telling us of the uh, assault, the hate, the torture by David's enemies and how ferocious it was. It was like being caught in the middle of a stampede, being torn to pieces by a lion. Can you imagine? Then we come to verse 14. And when David mentions his heart turning to wax, when Jesus says, my heart has turned to wax and it has melted, what Jesus is doing is, a, uh, is picturing his emotional agony. Complete and total emotion of being distraught as he became the divine sin bearer. You know, what it was like for the only perfect and innocent, completely pure human to suffer 
that his heart turns to wax and it melts within him is simply beyond words. That's why we have so many pictures here, uh, so many metaphors. Then we come to verse 15. Look at verse 15. Here in verse 15, Jesus tells us his dehydration was total. It was fatal. His tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth. And when he says at the end of the verse, you lay me in the dust of death, Jesus is telling us he knew he was dying and he felt every moment of the agony of death as it came closer and closer and closer. And bear in mind, Jesus didn't die in a hospital. He didn't die in the presence of family and friends and loved ones. He didn't die experiencing a heavy dose of pain medicine. But bear, but bore rather every moment of the agony. Verse 16, it continues. Dogs, villains, metaphors, picture the gross injustice, the, the evil, the unfairness of crucifying innocence. Then if you look at the end of verse 16, we have these famous words. The pain of the spikes that pierced his hands and feet. Pain searing through his body as he attempted to breathe. Then finally, in these last two verses in this section, verses 17 and 18, Jesus describes the humiliation of being naked before the crowd. Exposed, his clothes taken, his garment sold. What we have in Psalm 22 is what Jesus experienced on Good Friday. It's Good Friday according to Jesus. And do you see the point? The depth of Jesus' suffering reveals the depth of the supremacy of his love. So when you are tempted to wonder if Jesus really cares about you, or you feel alienated, lonely, alone, underappreciated, unappreciated, or, or rejected, if you wonder if there's any hope for you, any hope for your family? Any hope in this situation? Any hope in, uh, for a job or in your job? When you wonder, is there any hope for the world? I want to invite you going forward as a follower of Jesus Christ to turn to these verses in Psalm 22 and to meditate on them and to weep. Here we have the agony of Jesus according to Jesus.
You and I are so sinful that Jesus Christ had to die for us. But in the economy and the providence of God, we are so loved that Jesus was willing to die for us. Voluntarily laying down his life. And men and women and you students, you children, I want you to know no one, no one, no one loves you like Jesus. And if you walk out of here and you don't understand that, you miss the point of Good Friday. No one loves me, no one loves you like Jesus. Jesus is treated the way we deserve so that the moment we believe we are treated the way Jesus deserved. Jesus became empty. Here we discover how empty so we might become full. Jesus became poor. Here in these verses we discover how poor so we might become rich. Jesus was rejected so we could be accepted. Jesus was broken so we could be healed spiritually. No one. No one loves you like Jesus. And this is what it means to live a gospel-centered, Jesus-centered life. We go through life not focusing on what we must do, but what Jesus Christ has already done. In other words, we live in light of Psalm 22. We never get past it. Then there's the last verse in Psalm 22. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Here we discover an important response to the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. And that is that you and I don't exist for ourselves, we exist for others. We have a mission, and that mission has nothing to do with how we feel. It has nothing to do with our circumstances. It has nothing to do with our, our, our background. and has nothing to do with how badly we've blown it in the past. Our mission in thousands of different ways is to proclaim God's salvation, God's forgiveness, God's righteousness revealed in the redemption of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross in our place. But then we come to the last line of the psalm. He has done it. He's done it. Salvation Forgiveness, this righteousness we are to proclaim, isn't something we attain to by working harder. It's not something we can earn or merit because of our sin. It's something rather that is a gift of God in his mercy. So the psalmist uh, doesn't say you have done it, and so much of our lives we spend thinking we can do it. That's not the gospel. You don't dig deeper. You look away from yourself. You don't look within. You look to Jesus. So salvation, this righteousness, isn't something anybody attains. It's something Jesus has attained for us. And what we have in this very last line of Psalm 22 is a wonderful Old Testament statement of grace. Where is grace in the Old Testament? It's right here in Psalm 22. 
We don't save ourselves. God sent his son to save us and to give us the faith that we might believe. Jesus cries out here in Psalm 22. He has done it. On the cross, he cries out, it is finished. It's the same thing. What we can't do for ourselves because of the hardness of the human heart, because of our self-centeredness, our sin, God has done for us in the glory and the beauty of his son. And this is the message of Good Friday. Jesus loves you so much. He went to the cross as if you are the only person on the planet. And so I don't want you to leave here and think, okay, now I've got to huff and puff and figure out what I need to do in order to serve Jesus. I want you to leave here and say, you know, I've got to change the orientation of my life. And I've got to live in light of what Jesus Christ has already done. And may this love, this forgiveness, be the most precious, the most priceless, and the most beautiful thing in your life as you see Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, and he who said, let light shine in the darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. No one, no one loves you like Jesus. Would you bow with me now as we move into a time of confession? King of heaven, we long to worship you today with hearts full of joy, but we have sinned countless times. Our dancing is turned to mourning when we think of our sin. We understand that we are every bit like the mockers who scoffed at Jesus as he died, the rebels who pressed the crown of thorns deeply onto his sinless head. Father, give up, forgive us for hearts that doubt you and turn away from you so many times each day. Father, we confess our sin to you. Forgive us for worshiping other gods and then running away from you in guilt and shame. Forgive us for keeping you at an arm's length. So Lord, today, this Good Friday 2019, we thank you for your perfect son who never sinned yet became sin for us. We thank you for allowing his head to be bloodied by that thorny crown so that you could lift up our heads and crown us with your steadfast love and mercy. Thank you for your deep and infinite love that willingly crushed your only son so that his wounds could pay our ransom. Thank you, thank you that our sin is dealt with, it is fully paid for, it is finished, it is done, and that we have become righteous through faith in the work of your son. So Father, turn our eyes away from ourselves to you 
to Jesus to see his head now crowned with glory and honor. Help us to remember all the grace, all the benefits, all the blessings that flowed to us because of our redemption in your Son. Thank you that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that one day, a day is coming that we will see the Lamb seated on his throne, crowned with radiant glory. And we will worship him throughout all eternity. Amen.